Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. One of the great tragedies in Australian politics over the last decade was Tony Abbott's decision to repeal Julie Gillard's carbon architecture. If it were still in now... It'd be the carbon emissions would be lower, the economy would be about the same. Like the GST, people wouldn't even know it was there. Hello, lovely people of podcasts, and welcome to another episode of Australian Politics Live. You are with Catherine Murphy, who's the political editor of Guardian Australia, and my guest this week is Joel Fitzgibbon, who is the Shadow Minister for Agriculture and resources. I've got it in the right order, haven't I? You have, Catherine, and it's great to be with you. Okay. So politics tragics will know that Joel has been well, let's let's start this way. You and I have known each other a long time. You never backward in coming forward. You're a person who speaks their mind, but since the election you've been speaking your mind more forcefully. Why? Yes, I have Catherine and for very good reason. I had a pretty tough night on the on election night 2019, and I'll make a revelation on your podcast today. Uh, I decided that night that I'd probably go to the backbench for three years and get out mm. uh, because I was concerned about the size and depth of the loss and what it meant for our capacity to win an election in three years' time. And I'm 58 years of age, and I think I'd be running under out of time under those circumstances. I desperately wanted to be a minister again. I desperately wanted to see the election of a Labor government again because I passionately and truly believe that this country at this point in time desperately needs a Labor government. And I was very pessimistic about those prospects. But by the time I woke up on Sunday morning, it occurred to me that the party had been very good to me and I, you know, it deserved for me to give a bit back, not to walk away. So I decided to stick around and committed myself to doing everything possible to put the party in back in a competitive position. Now, I was also lamenting the fact that for, for the three years previously, I watched the, government, uh, the party do a lot of things I wasn't comfortable with and not happy with, but in the interest of unity and on the basis that all the opinion polls were saying we were on track to win, I kept quiet and I convinced myself, understandably, that maybe I was wrong. Maybe, you know, the electorate had become more progressive and as an old guy I'd been left behind and I fell into line. And by doing so, in my mind, I let the party down. I let the party down very badly. There were a couple of times when I 
I uh, had a little breakout, uh, one around Adani. Mm. I could see what a danger that was for for us. And one about around tax cuts, if I remember correctly, where uh, Bill and I had a bit of a one-two. But basically, I stayed quiet in the interest of unity and in the hope of winning. And I thought, well, we can fix these things when we get into into government, when we're sitting around that cabinet table. So, uh, you know, I, I've learned from that experience and I pledged to myself, I would never do that again. I would never let the party down. And if I believed the party was on the wrong track, uh, I would absolutely say so. And excuse me if it's a bit conceited, but I do have a lot of confidence in my capacity to read the electorate, particularly regional electorates. Graham Richardson recently generously said of me, he said, Matt, I'll say one thing about you, you know what the punters are thinking. And I believe I do. I want to always get it right. So every time now, I believe the party's on the wrong track. Within reason, I'll have my say and let me promise you I will continue to do so. Mm. So you've you've said a few times since the election loss that your belief is that climate change policy, Labor's climate change policy, lost you votes. Talk the listeners through that. Why do you why do you think that? Well, it's just not me. It's the election review report as well. None of us say that it was the only reason. Of course, the the reasons for the loss are far more complex than that. But I think it was a very substantial component. And when you allow yourself to be framed as anti-worker, it's not just coal miners you're losing. It's typically anyone that wears a blue shirt to work, so you now extend it to the resources sector more generally, and now you're not talking about the Hunter Valley just or central Queensland, north Queensland. You're also talking about Perth because Perth is a, is a big mining town, fly in, fly out. And, you know, that's that had impact, therefore, well beyond what you, you describe as the typical coal mining seats. I think in the electorate, well, I don't think I know in the electorate, particularly in the regions, that people look at the Labor Party and they believe we are in bed with the Greens, and that's a... That's a perception fueled and pushed by our political opponents. Of course, I'd be happy to return to that because it's interesting. Mm. And they think we are more committed to climate change than we are to their jobs and their capacity to repay their mortgage. Look, most people, and it's even more so now uh, in this COVID period, well, most people are far more concerned about what's happening today, next week and next month than they are about what the planet might look like in 20, 30, 50 years. Now, that might be wrong of them, but that's the way they think, and I can't change that. I I totally get that, but it's also true that climate change wins Labor votes in certain contests too, right? It's not... It's not all one way. It's not all that climate change is a is 100% negative mm. for Labor, right? Oh, that's, a, that's absolutely true. And I won't name any particular seat because I'll upset one of my parliamentary colleagues, but, you know, we could afford to shave a few percent off some seats in very progressive areas where, you know, where we do have big margins and transfer them to, you know, a seat in central Queensland where with another 3 or 4% we, we might win a seat which could add to our number and our capacity to form government. So it's a balance and it's a very difficult balance. I mean, we are the biggest political party in the country. We've got a mass membership. We're appealing to a a very broad spectrum. I mean, the coalition cheat. We have the Libs saying one thing at one end of the country and the National Party saying something else at the other end of the country. And then the Nats come to Canberra say the same thing as the Libs and they use their numbers to form a government, combine their numbers. That's not a luxury we have as a political party. 
But that was the point I was making in an earlier podcast. I didn't say I wanted the party to split or predict it would. I said I feared it would split mm. if we don't do a better job of reconciling these two competing bases. But you're right. We and, and remember, Catherine, this is a very important point. I believe that climate is changing in adverse ways. I believe humankind is making a significant contribution and I believe in taking meaningful action mm. on climate change. It's just about calibrating it and getting the message right so we can be a little bit more all things to all people. Yeah, and I know you do, and you, you were also part of a shadow cabinet decision that signed on to the net zero by 2050 target. And, and, and around the cabinet table voted for every yes. um, carbon constraint that came before us. Yeah, exactly, right. So, But then the problem then becomes, though, doesn't it, if you view climate change through the lens you do, which is mm. a, absolutely valid, a, a regional perspective, right, the problem then becomes in terms of that compromise that you're talking about, which is a really difficult thing, as, is, you, as you acknowledge, right? Um, I've been doing it for 20 years. I, yeah, I understand, Joel. I do understand. But the problem becomes, does it not, Labor has fought the fight on climate ambition over many election cycles now. When Kevin Rudd determined to drop the emissions trading scheme after the big setback at Copenhagen and, and was seen to step off that position, that was catastrophic for his leadership. So in terms of what I want to get to with you is, okay, if your absolute passionate view, and I know it is, is that Labor needs to reposition on this point, there is no cost-free way of repositioning on this point. No, there's not. If you dig yourself a big hole over more than a decade, you'll take a bit of bark off climbing out of it. There is no doubt about that. And that's the difficulty we find ourselves in at the moment. And it's not going to be easy, but we, we need to find a pathway. Otherwise, we won't win back those regional seats and we won't form a government. And I'm sure you've heard me say many times, you can have the best climate change policy in the world, but it's not much good if you're never in government. Let's get to the climate change policy, right? Like, obviously, you, you referred to your own scare on election night, right? You're from a coal mining region. There was a big swing against you. Uh, you went from a very safe seat to, I think it's marginal. It is marginal now, it's isn't 3%, it? It's 3%. Yeah, yes. 3%, right. So that's that would wake anybody up, <laughs> assuming that you were asleep beforehand, which you weren't, right? So I get I, I get that. But then what do, what do you say to your coal workers, right? Because as you've said to me in this conversation, I'm Joel Fitzgibbon. I accept the climate science. I accept that the planet's warming. I accept that we need to do something about it, right? I, I accept that. Then, so what do you tell your coal workers? What do you tell them? Well, just let me say something about uh, my margin. It is 3%, but it was 3.8% after the 2013 election. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, this is not a new phenomenon. It bounce, bounced back, and without being complacent about it, I think it will bounce back again. The protest vote has been lodged. I've responded, a bit of a mea culpa, and yeah. been outspoken. I think it will bounce back again. So I'm not motivated by that. I'm only motivated I, – you know, I often say I think if they didn't get me last time, they never will. I'm motivated by – getting the Labor Party into a contestable position. That's, I, no, I totally get that, yeah. and I think the listeners will understand that, and this is why we're having that conversation, mm. right? But I'm interested in what you tell your coal workers. Well, <laughs> you, you, like, is the message to them, you say Labor's got to appeal to working people, yeah. is your message to them nothing needs to change? No. 
No. Well, look, what is what what is me, your let, message? Let, to let me tell you something about coal workers, and you, you've got to be careful not to stereotype because there are obviously there are mixed bunks like like in any other industry. But, you know, when I was a kid, and the teacher wanted to have a go at you for not having a go, they'd say typically, "Oh, you'll end up a, a garbage collector." So it's pejorative, mm, you know. You don't sure. want to be a garbage collector. In their minds, we're now calling them the garbage collectors. You know, they are very proud people who honestly believe they take risks every day, they get dirty every day, but they're doing something for their country. You know, they're producing power and they're exporting to the, to Asia to earn income for the country. So they're very proud of what they do, but we're telling them that they're garbage collector. That's that's the way they that's hear the way they uh, what, we, what we are saying. No, no, no. And, and we're wishing they're they, – they are smart enough to know – look, most of them don't want their kids to work in the coal mining industry. They want them to go on to be doctors and nurses and you know something more sophisticated than what they are doing, even though they're very proud of, of what they do. But it's a bit boring too for for most of them. Some of them love it, but it can be very dry, you know, driving a dump truck yeah. around, around, yeah. around all day. So they want their kids to do something better. They understand that the world's changing, but what they don't want and what they hear, rightly or wrongly, is us willing the change to be quicker in the interest of the planet. They see us feeling vindicated when a report comes out saying, you know, the transition is on and the, the climate's, uh, the, the world's warming more quickly and it's becoming more urgent. They think we're cheering that. They mm. think we want that. They, they, we want that evidence to justify our view of their jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I hear you on the tone. Mm. I, t- I completely hear you on the tone. But, like, the fact of the matter is workers across many, many industries in this country are going through transitions. Yeah. Right, structural. Uh, my own profession is in the middle of a revolution that I that is difficult yes, to explain is. how profound that is. Right, a number of us are losing our jobs. No one has any certainty that there will be a viable journalistic model in ten years' time. Right, so I'm not I'm not having this conversation with you from mm. some up high remote position. Sure. I live structural adjustment every day. Right, so what I'm what I'm asking you is. I think you're telling me it's a matter of tone, but I'm just trying to align your various statements, right? You you support climate – well, support is a ridiculous word. Mm. Understand. <laughs> you get the science. Yep. You understand what it says. You understand the urgency associated with the science because, mm. like, the science is clear. We can't pretend it isn't. It is. So that requires certain actions to happen before certain times. Otherwise, we're all stuffed, right? Like, yep. that's the real world. Right, so then, so then, how do you communicate with your coal workers that that's the reality? I don't know that I agree that we're all stuffed. Uh, I think the we're, we're kind of stuffed. No, I think the history of mankind is one which shows that uh, when pushed against the wall, humans are very, very good at finding a solution. But we can't risk, you know, take just holding the belief that 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 will happen. I think that that is beyond Lomberg's view of the word world. By the way, I think he's described as a climate change denier. But I think that's his. I hope I'm not misrepresenting his thesis. Yeah, there's a problem there, but mm. on the scale of our problems, it's about number 10. And don't worry, if the sea waters rise, we'll build a wall. You know, we'll do something about it. So I don't accept that the calamity uh, argument, but I, I do accept that uh, I believe in the precautionary principle. If in doubt, do something about it because mm. it might be too late uh, further on. But we've joined with the rest of the world in a plan to do something about this. It's called the Paris Agreement. It's a pretty poor agreement, in my view, compared to some of the earlier mm. drafts, other proposals. But we've signed up to it, and it doesn't ask us or expect us to take account of scope three emissions. That is the emissions that come from our coal when it's burned in Correct. other countries. Yep. 
So, you know, we, we work within the rules and, and we are allowed under the rules to keep exporting our coal. And our coal miners know, they look at, you know, they don't study it like you and I do, but they know demand. It's just so easy to see that demand for coal in the Asian region will be strong for decades to come, particularly coking coal, but also thermal coal. I think thermal coal will be strong. There's always a caveat in there with COVID and how that all turns out. But I think thermal coal will be strong for the next 20 years as well. So they know we're allowed to do that under the rules. And we shouldn't attempt at 1.3% of global output, we shouldn't we shouldn't be attempting to go better than the rules. No, 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 we no. should just stick to the rules. <laughs> and we, no, sorry, we should say to our commerce, don't worry, we've signed Paris, but it doesn't prevent us from continuing to export our coal. Don't worry, you'll have a job for decades. There's a, there's a message for the coal miners. Well, that was, that was what I was why, asking Why don't you? we say it? <laughs> I say it in the pubs and in the supermarkets, but let me be frank, uh, and candid as I often am, it gets me into trouble, my, not too many of my colleagues are saying it. They sort of say it. I made the point in another interview, uh, I think last week, Joel Fitzgibbon might say, I support the gas industry. But some of my colleagues will say, we're not a- opposed to the gas industry. Now, how do you think that message arrives in the lounge room of a coal miner, an oil and gas worker, a power station, a power plant worker? They just hear the like, ah, weasel words. You're not opposed to it. But do you support it? We need to be loud in our message there's a future for both metallurgical and thermal coal. Sometimes we get tricky and talk about steel-making coal. They know that's a, a line, a nuance. We just got to say, look, Paris allows us to keep exporting coal. It's our third largest export earner. We're going to continue to send it to Asia as long as they ask for it. That's it. Bang. Okay. What happens if um, you, you talk about staying within the rules, though? Granted, I, I think COVID and the, and the recession following COVID will set back the cause of climate action. Like I, I, I just yeah. do. Carbon emissions will also collapse at least tempor- well, temporarily. Well, sure, but I just think in terms of the cause of it, because yes. people, as you said a couple priorities. of minutes ago, have other yeah. priorities, right? That's my view. I think it will be harder to prosecute the case for climate action in this environment, all right? But you mentioned scope three emissions a minute ago, right? This is not implausible, Joel, is it? This scenario I'll run past you, right? Obviously, we had catastrophic bushfires in Australia at the start of the year. There are catastrophic bushfires happening in California as we speak. Storm seasons are getting more vigorous, more terrifying for people, right? I think it is also possible that if the practical manifestations of climate change appear before people in ways that cannot be explained away over the next decade, that the clamour for action will become very intense indeed because people will be scared, people will be really frightened. So, Let's talk about scope for three emissions. I accept that there is absolutely nothing wrong with you saying to your coal workers, let's, let's stick yeah. within the rules, right? That's, yeah. that's a completely rational thing to say to them. Yep. But let's say the clamour for action really intensifies and then, you know, the Europeans, others are already pressing Australia on our export of fossil fuels, right? They're already doing it. Mm. In, in climate negotiations. Yep. Let's say that the that all of that accelerates. The the main objection I have about sticking with your coal workers, right? The main objection I have about <laughs> pretending that nothing has to change is it strands these people. You know, these people are entitled to a living, to to a job, to a place in our economy, right? But they are working in an industry that is actually counterproductive to the well being of the planet right? These people deserve a future. Mm. So why is it not okay to give them a future 
by saying, look, guys, this has to change. On some scenarios, this may change really quickly. We have to plan for you. Mm. We have to have a future for you. You know, what if it's hydrogen? Or it's it's some other more sustainable. You see what I mean? Yeah, I know. Like, why I is know this exa- a bad thing to say, Joel? Let, let why me, is this let, a bad thing I, to I, say? I know exactly what what you are saying. And let me back this point first. One of the great tragedies in Australian politics over the last decade was Tony Abbott's decision to repeal Julia Gillard's carbon architecture. Mm. I didn't like it a lot at the time because it had that upfront twenty four dollars per ton mm, tax for three price. three years. Yeah. That was disaster. But if it was still in now. It'd be the carbon emissions would be lower, the economy would be about the same. Like the GST, people wouldn't even know it was there. Mm. But one thing I'm certain of the gas, the bushfires last summer would have been just as bad. Now, I don't have any science to back that, but I think the bushfires would have been just as bad. So we've got to calibrate both our approach uh, and our language. But if you're a, I mean, you talk about the workers. If I'm a 35 year old coal miner today, with a big mortgage, and they typically do, they tend to buy themselves pretty decent homes mm. and, and, in, and take on a lot of debt. We call it the golden handcuffs because there's not a, another job they can move to yeah. that'll pay them the money yeah, yeah, they're yeah. earning today. Yeah, I understand that. So if you're the 35-year-old coal miner today, you're pretty confident and hope and expect that you'll have a job at least until you're 55, 20 years. That's what the coal miner wants. He, he then or she now, in many instances, want the kids to go off and become a nurse or something. So they're doing the transition on their own. They, they can see that in 20, 30, 40 years, things will change, but they want, to, they want to work for that next 20, 25 years in the hope of giving them their kids a good education, one sufficient to go off and be a lawyer or whatever. So they're doing their transition. Mm. But the other point I would make is, I work every day and have done in my 24 years in the parliament trying to build economic diversity mm. in, in my region. In I, region. I didn't wake up one yeah. morning, I don't wake up and say, look, oh, coal's in transition, I better mm. go and you know, work for some diversity. <laughs> I, I really hate it. Like the government says about China as an export market, oh, we've got, just got to diversify our markets. What, you don't do that every day? Mm. I mean, that's your day yeah. job. Yeah. And it's my day job to... Uh, build diversity. And, and and let me say something else. The Hunter Expressway, one of my, you know, my greatest achievements in the Hunter region, $1.7 billion, transformational for the economy. Now, the Hunter Expressway, and I credit Anthony Albanese too, who was the minister at the time for transport, we would never have built that if it were not for the coal mining industry. It, it gave you the leverage to make the benefit cost mm. add up. Mm. So while ever we can keep mining going in the Hunter, we can continue to lever. And that's really important. So don't throw it out. If you want diversity and you want to grow things off that expressway as it goes through the, the old hydro-aluminium plant where there's enormous industrial opportunity, mm. the Hunter Expressway will make a real difference. So different ways to skin a cat. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's talk about the medium-term emissions reduction mm. target. <laughs> Poor Joel. <laughs> I, I, you can see I'm, I'm not a fan. No, 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 no. no. Okay, because let's step this out, right? So as we said a minute ago, you've, you've signed up to net zero by 2050. Yes. You've been saying in the public domain for a couple of months now on and off that Labor either needs to have the same medium-term redu- uh, uh, emissions reduction target as the government or not have one at all, right? Yeah. Which, which is kind of what you're warming up to. Now, Albo's been pretty clear that you'll have one and it's based on the science. His language is, there hasn't been any hedging in that language. 
right, what he said publicly, Butler wants one too because he has said consistently since the election you'll have one, right? So, look, a dialogue is going to happen in Labor over the next several months. Probably the dialogue's already underway. Possibly. He's smiling. <laughs> just just a full disclosure to the <laughs> listeners, Joel is smiling widely. Right. The dialogue's underway, right? But, uh, okay, look, uh, someone will win and someone will lose in this discussion, unless there's some third way that I'm unable to imagine what that is, right? Someone will win, someone will lose, right? So if they win and you lose, what happens? I'll always go with the collective decision. But most of the things that have caused controversy over the last 16 months, is it now, since the election or more, haven't been on about collective decisions. They've been about they've been on the road to collective decisions. So I'll continue to advocate a common sense approach. I think the importance of a medium term target is overstated. Morrison mm-hmm. has one because Paris sort of sort of requires him to have one. I don't recant uh, from what I said. If if we could get Scott Morrison from where he is now on carbon emissions, have a look at their own their own departments accounting on. Uh, these things uh, to 26, 28% would be a remarkable turnaround. Mm. Um, and we should leave the spotlight entirely on his capacity to get there and all not get there. Oh, look, I think targets, the longer term target is important because I said at the uh, Kuma Bush Summit that, you know, if you're going to go on a diet, you know, nominate the six <laughs> kilos. Um, it gives you something to sort of work towards, yeah. but it doesn't guarantee that you're going to lose the six kilos, yeah, sadly. Of we've course. all. We've all had We uh, all have experience. the magnum at midnight, it's fine. Um, yep. I think what's more important is the pathway. And I think the medium-term target concept just got a whole lot harder for the Labor Party, frankly, given the announcements or half announcements that Scott Morrison's made in the last couple of weeks because there, there are only two pathways to zero net emissions. If you forget about the demand side, or theoretically mm. you could do something on the demand side, but mm. there's the market-based mechanism, mm. a, a, a price on carbon. Yeah, price on carbon in or there's, some form. Or there's a technology, yep. or, or I suppose you could say a third is both uh, mm. in unison. Now, the NEG, the Emissions Intensity Scheme and the Clean Energy Target were all market mechan- mechanisms. Mm. They all mm. put a constraint on carbon. We, we stood ready, I think, to support Yep, all of them. All of them. Certainly, certainly the neg. But Scott Morrison has now found that too difficult, as Malcolm Turnbull did. So he's taken the other option. He's taken the technology path. Now, I think of those two options, clearly the market mechanism is the the preferred. That's mm. the most sensible. But any mm. economist in the room would say, no, yeah. go go there. Don't yeah. go pick, picking winners and mm. spending or, or taxpayers. Picking losers. Yeah, yeah, or picking losers. Mm. Yep. Go the market mechanism. Let the market sort it out. If people need some compensation as the price flows through to consumption, then compensate them like Julia Gillard did. Mm. But he he's gone on this other this other path now. So if he, I mean, he probably won't do much in a year or a bit more. Mm. But what if he does? Yeah. What, what what if he gets well along that track? He starts accelerating. And he, re- I mean, he's he's ne- he's come very close to backing net zero emissions. Mm. He just he just can't bring himself to mm. say it. Mm. So if he rushes a- along that path, what does the Labor Party do now? Do we say we te- we're just going to you- pull all that back mm. and go down our own path? Now, that's an open question, and I don't mind saying I'll be internally urging my people to let him go his way. Let this be his problem now. Uh, He's the government. We lost. You know, one of the consequences, as I said in a recent article of losing, is that you don't get to call the shots. He's gone down a certain path. 
We did our best to push him to the other path. Uh, we failed from opposition. So let him go and let him be responsible and accountable for his success or his failings. I think that's the smartest thing the Labor Party could do. What about, um, I talked about some third way that I can't wrap my head around. Would a third way to resolve the differences on the medium-term target be announce a process to set one, but not the number? Oh, I think it looks flaky. Mm-hmm. I mean, why do we need it? The government of the day has got a medium-term target. Mm. Now, we should promise the electorate will do better. But we don't need to. There is so much. I, I swallow all these reports for my sins, Catherine. You know, AEMO, mm. Australian mm. Energy Regulator, you know, Energy Security, but all of them. You know, mm. I, you know, most of them are pretty boring, but I commit myself to reading them all. And and even Paris, even the science is to, to an extent guesswork. Mm. You know, some some question gas generators because they think they know that what the price is going to be for gas in 30 years' time. Really? Mm. You're kidding me, aren't you? Mm. I sure. mean, technology will will develop now at such such a rate that we can't predict any of these things. And trying to pick, you know, a, a 2030 or 2035 target now makes no sense because, as I said, the, the, the path to 2050 won't be linear. You know, the challenge will become easier over time as technology cuts in. And the other thing we should be saying is that Scott Morrison over the last two weeks embraced most of what we've been saying. I mean, mm. the emphasis on hydrogen, mm. for example, that's the late, you know, we've been arguing yeah. that for oh, years. Oh, no, I know. So it's, now we, we should be saying he's my culprit, he's capitulated, yeah, he's, he's, embraced our, he's, he's embraced our plan, Let him, now, now he's got to do it. Force him to deliver on it. Yeah, he's, he's certainly back to where Labor, was, yeah, where Labor was about the carbon price. Okay, make it about him. But just again, to be clear, we'll move off this in a tick. In the event that Labor Labor determines there will be a medium-term emissions reduction target for 2030, 2035, you know, pick and a poke, whatever it is, if that's where it lands, you won't spit gee, the dummy and gee, leave Catherine, the Labor G- Party. And, G- uh, and Gee, I, could, I wish I could show you some videos of me um, pre-election <laughs> backing in things I hated, you know, standing so, at the National Press Club debating Dave Littleproud, ferociously backing in Labor's policy. Now, I I said I wouldn't make that mistake again, but I was referring to the lead-up to the collective decision. Even when the Labor Party makes a collective decision, say, on a medium-term target... You'll own it. I'll I'll own it. I'll I'll go out there and I'll do my best to say it. You won't won't split. You won't go off and be an independent or leave the Labor Party. I mean, I find it very hard to wrap my mind around this, but, but... Catherine, I'm 58 years of age going on 59 pretty soon in January. I've been in the party for almost 40 years. I am too old to rat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I don't consider any public contribution I've made to the debate over the last 16 months uh, as being in, in any way disloyal to the party. In my mind, and I'm not always right, but in my mind, it's been a positive contribution. And I think that... I've been pretty persuasive. Don't think that in the Labor movement and in the Parliamentary mm. Party, there aren't a lot of people who agree with oh, and no, support no, no. my no, views. No, 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 no. In, in every, in this every, is what politics is. No, no, sure. It's a mm. battle of ideas, yes. which is why we're having this conversation. And, I'm, I'm not a cancellor of and, ideas. And, 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 and I'm, I'm very firmly of the view that a vibrant party is one which has a public contest of ideas mm, totally because we're great. such a big party. I mean, mm. no one... No one, it's just like I don't think, I don't expect every coal miner to think the same. Surely no one expects 50,000 members of the Labor Party 
to mm, no, it'd be think weird. the same. Of course, would be weird. it would be weird if you did. Mm. And and this is why we're having this conversation. And I agree with you. I think a vibrant debate is better than everybody standing there looking like, you know, crash test dummies, basically. Well, so, it becomes Xi Jinping. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Albo looks nothing like him, but I don't think Albo, I don't think Albo wants to be con- considered an authoritarian, authoritarian di- dictator. dictator. No, quite. Okay, well, you brought up Albo. Let's finish on this. How's he going? I think Albo is doing as well as an opposition leader could in COVID. I think this is a, a period where the power of incumbency is very, very significant. Mm. Have a look at it. Even Dan Andrews is still polling well despite his difficulties with the second wave. Mark McGowan, you know, 90%, I mm. think, at some point. Mm. Uh, he Xi Jinping. Hit, uh, Xi Jinping is <laughs> going okay too, Donald Trump. So, you know, I think you could be not even a young Bob Hawkes opposition leader at the moment would be cutting through too much. But there's a message in that for us too to have a bit of a rethink ourselves about our approach. And I think- What I think about, Albo, you mean about how to cut through more forcefully or what do you mean? Uh, just, to, I mean, the last thing the Labor Party can afford to be at the moment is a party of protest. It has to look like an alternative government. The Labor Party's un, only one government from opposition three times since the Second World War. My view is that we're not the natural party of government at the federal level. We are in some states. Yeah. And they only come to us. When the other, when they're tiring or they're angry at the other mob, and we don't look too scary. And at last election, we made ourselves look as scary as we possibly could. Mm-hmm. As, as, it's as if we worked at it. So we've we've got to look like a government. Albo's got to look like an alternative prime minister. Does and he look like an alternative prime minister at the moment? I think he can be and does it from time to time. But I think he's got to avoid looking like a, a protester. Um, uh, and I think he works very hard at that in this in this COVID period. He has worked hard. It's not easy because this is a pretty hopeless government in my view and sometimes I do some outrageous things and you've got to be out there holding them to account. So I'm not saying it's easy. I'm glad I'm not doing it. But in this time, he has to think more about it and I know he does. Will he lead you to the next election? Yes. No if, buts or maybes? He'll lead us to the next election. Okay. Um, I, I've been around these games for a long, long well, time. Well, you have, Joel, um, yes. <laughs> and, You've been uh, quite close to some of them. And, uh, you know, I, I there's not even a hint that not there's even a question a mark. Not a whisper, no. And very importantly, Catherine, he continues to enjoy my support. Well, quite, but will he continue to enjoy your support if he makes you stand up and defend an, a medium-term emissions reduction target that you do not support? Well, I'd have to consider my position at the time. I wouldn't overtly challenge it from the shadow cabinet. I'd have to make a decision about that. But whether you, what whether you remained a, within the shadow cabinet is that what you mean? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't from the shadow cabinet cabinet stand and oppose a collective decision. You know, I, I, I promote vibrancy in a public debate within the party. I encourage young backbenchers to get out there and have their say, not to be too tied to the you know the orthodoxy or the what they think is the you know the majority view. So I will never give up my right to speak out. Oh, but I respect the Shadow Cabinet position. position. I, if there's a collective decision, a collective decision. In the lead-up to a decision, I'll continue to speak out. If there's a collective decision I can't live with, I would not publicly voice my opposition from the Shadow Cabinet. So, sorry, so just I'm not asking this to hammer you. I'm asking this just so I make sure you understand. I understand what you've told me. So a minute ago I thought you said you'd cop it. If, if there were to be an emissions reduction target, you don't like it, but you cop it. If, if there'd been a fair fight and I just lost and, you know, I I can live with it politically, not my preferred position, obviously, but I can live with it, well, I'd, I'd go out there and sell it. Okay. If but, it was so yeah, offensive but, to me that uh, it didn't keep faith with our, our traditional base mm. and was fundamentally wrong and harmful, I would not 
criticise it from the shadow cabinet. I'd, I'd have no choice but to go and do so from another position. Mm, that's quite a note to end on. Thanks for your time, Joel. Thank you. Thank you, as always, to Hannah Izzard, who often cuts the show, and to Miles Martignoni, who's my executive producer. We'll be back again. Oh, my God. It's Oh, no, no. We've got one more week before the budget, haven't we, Joel? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Sorry, I was going to say it was budget week and jinx us all. Anyway, we're rolling to the budget. We'll be back next week. Thanks. Thanks, Catherine. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.